Psalm chapter 9. Notice, if you would, the title. This is important, important for understanding uh, the rest of the psalm, though we'll only look at the first uh, 11 verses tonight, and in particular verses 9 and 10. But uh, to the chief musician upon Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I'll explain in just a moment what I believe that's referring to and why it's important to our understanding of the psalm. Notice verse number one, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. And then notice this, four times in the next two verses, David uses the past tense verb of thou hast, verbal idea. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy. Now notice David is carrying on direct address. And I'll tell you in a moment who it is very likely he's addressing. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. Uh, The idea is this, is that the destruction of this enemy is going to be ongoing. There's no way he's ever going to recover from it. Okay, that's the idea of destructions coming to a perpetual end. And then he continues to address this enemy. Thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial has perished with them. Hey, you've had some success. For being who you were, you were able to accomplish some things. You've, as, as the man that you are, as the destroyer that you are, you've had some success. But notice verse 7, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And then our text verses tonight that we'll come back and spend a little time here. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Those are the two verses that the Lord used to minister to my heart early this morning. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion, declare among the people his doings. Go back to the title, if you would, to the chief musician upon Muth Laban. Uh, There is debate about the meaning of Muth Laban, but uh, for a long time, conservative Bible scholars that have studied the meaning of the two words put together, Muth Laban, have seen in it this word. And by the way, the word Muth is the Hebrew word for death. Okay, Laban is the idea of a son, and when it's put together, uh, the idea is the death of the giant. Anybody have any idea what event in David's life that might correlate to? Muth Laban, the death of the giant. Uh, another literal idea that some have seen in these words in the original Hebrew is this, the death of him that came into the valley. And so that is one of the most well-founded thoughts about the historical background of Psalm chapter number 9, that David was writing this as he looked back on his battle with Goliath and the victory that God had given. And in a sense, he directly addresses a dead giant 
in verse number six when he says, O thou enemy. Sure, you've had some success, Goliath, until you came up against the God of Israel. And so this is a psalm in many ways of remembrance, looking back after a period of difficulty, after a trial, and seeing the hand in God, the hand of God after the fact, and then praising him for it. And so because of that, I've titled the message tonight, Sweet Remembrances. Sweet Remembrances. How many of you have noticed in the time of difficulty and trial, it's hard to see the good hand of God? In the middle of the storm, it's often very difficult to see the providential workings of God. But many times on hindsight, we look back, I think historically, about the 13th century, when Genghis Khan and his Mongol, Mongol, Mongol hordes were advancing westward into Europe, and Europe was in great danger of being overrun by Genghis Khan's Mongol, Mongol hordes. And the only thing that stopped Genghis Khan from going all the way to the Atlantic, all the way to Great Britain, all the way to the Atlantic, some historians have said, is the fact that he ran into the bubonic plague. For the people living in Europe, dealing with the bubonic plague, it didn't seem like much of a blessing. But the presence of the bubonic plague turned Genghis Khan and his hordes back east. I've shared with you this story about my own grandpa during the Vietnam War. Uh, my dad had an older brother who only lived for eight days. Uh, he was, I don't remember the year he was born, but uh, Uncle Billy lived for eight days. And for years, my grandparents struggled with why God took little Billy, died of jaundice. My grandparents woke up in the morning and found a little baby deceased between them in the bed. You can only imagine the heartache of that, the grief of that. And for years, my grandparents questioned, my grandpa questioned, why did God take Billy? Until one day when my dad was a young teenager, they were sitting in the living room watching the Vietnam War draft early in the war. And my Uncle Billy's birth date came up. And my dad distinctly remembers my grandpa jumping up in the middle of the living room floor and crying out, now I know why God took Billy. Now I know why God took Billy. Now I know why God took Billy. Sometimes it's on hindsight that we look back after the fact and can see the blessings of God. Sweet remembrances. One of the commentaries that I read in preparation for tonight said this, William Graham Scroggie, who was a student of C.H. Spurgeon, said this, that which was bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. I'm going to say it again. That which was bitter to endure may be, there's a potential, it may be sweet to remember. I phrased it this way, that which is hard to endure can be sweet to remember. The potential is there. And as I look at David and some things that he says in particular in verses 9 and 10, there are three actions that we can take that will help us, even while we're going through the difficulty and for sure after the difficulty, to be able to look back with sweet remembrance at what God has done. What, what can I do in the midst of a difficulty, in the midst of that which is difficult to endure, that will help to ensure that down the road there will be sweet remembrance. And let me just say this before we look at these three actions. And that is this. 
If you're a born-again child of God, you know Christ as Savior. There is a day coming when with glorified eyes in the presence of Jesus, you will look back and all that has been endured in this life will be sweet to remember. Because you will be able to see with glorified sight the perfect working hand of God. I've been reminded recently and have quoted it enough times uh, that it's just become a part of my vocabulary, a quote I heard or read recently. God is at work in any given situation. God is at work doing 10 million things of which you and I may be aware of only three. By faith, I rest in that now. But there's a day coming when... As Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 2, he's going to show us the exceeding riches of his grace throughout all eternity. And we'll get to look back and see what God was doing. I think about that in the midst of difficulty and after difficulties that we endure, that there's a day coming when the Lord is going to walk us in memory from heaven down, if you would, our past. And he's going to say, now see, this is what I was doing here. And Son, this is what I was doing here, and you didn't understand it, but this is what I was doing. And I know it was hard for you to trust me, but this is how I was growing you in this area. I believe we're going to have many conversations like that in heaven. When our faith, the eye of faith, is turned to perfect sight. But what are some actions that we can take right now, okay, that will help us to be able to draw sweet remembrance after a time of difficulty. Number one, run to the Lord for refuge. When you're in the time of difficulty, run to the Lord for refuge. Notice what David says in verse number nine. The Lord also will be a what? Verse number nine, Psalm nine. I know it's the middle of the week. I'd love to hear you. (laughs) I don't want to be... (laughs) Come on, folks, feedback, all right. Verse number nine, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a what? Refuge in times of trouble. A refuge for the oppressed, the word refuge speaks of a high place that is, get this, inaccessible to the enemy. The Lord is our refuge. I think about this, Spurgeon said in his Treasury of David, he speaking of God, who gives no quarter to the wicked in the day of judgment, is the defense and refuge of his saints in their day of trouble. There are many forms of oppression, both from man and from Satan, oppression comes to us. And for all its forms, all its forms, a refuge is provided in the Lord Jehovah. There were cities of refuge in the Old Testament God is our city of refuge under the gospel. As the ships, when vexed with a tempest made for harbor, so do the oppressed hasten to the wings of a just and gracious God. He is a high tower so impregnable that the hosts of hell cannot carry it by storm. And from its lofty heights, faith looks down with scorn upon her enemies." It's a high place, a place the devil cannot reach, a place the enemy cannot access. That is the idea of the word refuge used twice in one verse. 
The Lord also, the word also is significant because it's pointing back to the previous verses where David has just finished talking about the powerful judgment of God on those who hate God and are the enemies of his people. And really what David is saying in verse number 9 is just as God is sure to judge those who rebel against him and those who are the oppressors of his people and the enemies of the cause of God, so also... In contrast, he is the refuge of his people. The Lord also will be a refuge, that high place, that inaccessible place of refuge for the oppressed. The word oppressed speaks of those who are crushed, bruised, broken by the events of life, the trials, the difficulties of life. And notice the next statement in the verse, he is a refuge in times of trouble, in seasons of trouble. I thought about the, the, this last night, in times of trouble. It really is a tremendous testimony to us that not all times are times of trouble. It's habit for us many times to talk about the trials and the difficulties of life. But we do well to often remember, also remember, that there are plenty of good times, even in a sin-cursed earth that God gives to us. It really helps us experience a wonderful balance. The times of difficulty help us appreciate the good times. And the good times help us be glad that all times are not times of trouble. Okay. But he is a refuge in Times or seasons of trouble. The word trouble here speaks of a, of a squeezing. It's a, used in the scriptures and other places to speak of a time of drought or a time where supply is thin, if you would. It's a time of hopeless extremity, a time where all help has failed and there seems to be no hope. That is when I run to the Lord for refuge. And if I make that my, one of the dictionaries that I was reading in preparation for this evening uh, said of the word trust that we're going to see in just a moment, that it means to high for refuge. It was like high, like high? Okay. It's the old English word H-I-E, to high for refuge. And I looked it up and the word literally means to hasten, to go quickly. Let that be your immediate response. When trouble comes, where do you go? How do you respond? And it really is a testimony of our trust in the Lord. But the thought here is this. If I'm to have the expectation that what is hard to endure will one day soon be sweet to remember because I've seen God do His work and I've trusted His plan... If I'm going to see that, if I'm going to experience that, number one, I must run for refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, Solomon said. The righteous runneth into it and is what? Safe. But I notice, secondly, if times that are now hard to endure will someday be sweet to remember, number two, I must rest in his reputation. I recently heard someone use the term again, practical atheist. Are there any 
philosophical or theological atheists here tonight? Anyone that does not believe in the existence of God? I ask that question and I don't think I'll see any raised hands. I don't think an atheist would be in church on a Wednesday night. Okay. If any church service. But can I tell you that many times, and I'm including all of us, myself as well in this category, I'm afraid sometimes that we Christians have a tendency towards what we call practical atheism. And that is in our thinking and our responses, though we would testify we believe in the existence of God, when the rubber meets the road and we actually get in a time of trouble, our actions or attitudes, and I'm saying this because I've been going through some of this, our actions and our attitudes, if we're not careful, are very humanistic and atheistic. We act and think as if there is no God. But notice what David says, verse number 10, really showing us a second action that we can take if what were hard times to endure will someday be sweet to remember. Number two, we need to rest in his reputation. Verse number 10, the first line, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. A name in the Old Testament scripture in particular was synonymous with a person's character and reputation so that we could say this, and that they that know the Lord's reputation will put their trust in Him. They that know the Lord's character will put their trust in Him. So the word name in the scripture is synonymous with a person's testimony, reputation, character, what they're known for. And if I'm to see what was a hard time to endure, be sweet to remember at some point in the future, and even the beginnings of that in the midst of the trouble, I must learn to rest in His reputation. What do I know about my God? What do I know about my God? Think about the names of the Lord, since this verse mentions those that know thy name. And it's, the, it's a very strong word. It's the idea of they, those that are intimate with his name. I think about the seven um, compound names of Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, what? Provides. Jehovah Rapha, Exodus 15, the Lord, who is the healer. Jehovah Nisi, Exodus 17, when the Amalekites attacked the children of Israel the beginning of the wilderness wandering, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Jehovah Rohi, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace, Judges 6.24. Jehovah Tzidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness, Jeremiah 23. Speaking of his righteousness placed upon us, imputed to us, I love Ezekiel chapter 48, uh, speaking of the millennial kingdom, the city of Jerusalem. It's going to have a new name in the millennium. And the, the name of Jerusalem in the millennium is Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. He's there. And you see how just recalling the name of the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty, Begins to help me understand by faith because of who he is, because he's the healer, because he's the shepherd, because he's the banner, because he's the provider, because he is my righteousness, because he is the God of peace. 
Because he is the one who is here. Sweet remembrance comes. And so what is hard to endure can be sweet to remember. If we learn to run for refuge. If we learn to rest in his reputation. The hymn said this, O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. But what to those who find, ah, this, nor tongue nor pen can show, the love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. For thou, Lord, or pardon me, they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. The word trust, interestingly enough, means to flee quickly to a place of refuge. But then I want you to notice a third action that we can take that will help to ensure that what was hard to endure can be sweet to remember. Not only run to the Lord for refuge, not only rest in his reputation, but number three, recall his reliability. Notice the last line of verse number 10. I'll read all of verse number 10. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Why? For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. What tense verbal idea is that? When when David said, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Past, present, or future? Past. Do you see what David is doing? David is recalling the reliability of God that he has both seen and witnessed and heard testified to in the lives of others who've gone before him. And there's a tremendous practice that is suggested to us here. And that is, you can draw strength in the midst of your trials by looking back on how God has helped others in their trial in the past. This is why every Christian, (laughs) this is a little bit of a biased statement here because I love to read. And I think every, and not just obviously saturating our souls with the word of God, but folks, listen, there is so much wonderful literature available today that is the historical testimony of believers who've gone before us and the narratives of scripture testify of the historical reliability of God in people's lives. And then I have a whole library section full of the biographies of the George Mueller's and the C.H. Spurgeon's and the C.T. Studs and on and on the list could go, the Corey Ten Booms and on and on the list could go. I just read, finished it last week. It wasn't so much the historical uh, uh, biography of uh, Elizabeth Elliot, but a book that she wrote, it actually was done posthumously. Someone else did the work, but it was based on a series of five uh, speeches that she gave at a conference. And the title of the book is, uh, Our Suffering is Never for Nothing. And of course, she wrote the testimony of her husband Jim's life. And listen, you'd read those kinds of things, and it strengthens you. 
And it helps you understand in the lives of not just hundreds, but thousands of followers of Jehovah God for centuries and even millennium before me, in time after time after time of countless difficulties in people's lives, God has been faithful. And he has delivered. And he has comforted. And he has strengthened. And notice what David said. He has not forsaken them that seek thee. He's not forsaken. It's the idea of deserting or abandoning. He's not deserted. He's not abandoned those that seek thee. The word seek here is the idea of resorting to the Lord, inquiring of the Lord. God, what are you doing here? And so as we think about these two wonderful verses, what a reminder for us tonight that if we follow this pattern, these actions by faith, God will give us the strength to see what was hard to endure be sweet to remember. Run to him for refuge. Rest in his reputation. Recall his reliability. And though much faith will be required in this life, there's a day coming when we get on the other side that we'll be able to look back and as the songwriter said, these trials of life remembered there will only bring a... And because of that, until then I can do what? Until then my heart will go on singing. Until then With joy I'll carry on Until the day My eyes behold the Savior Savior city Until the day God calls me This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Father, help us as we pray tonight. I pray that even as we look at David remembering this difficulty and other psalms that recorded great difficulties that he experienced, the what we might call the extremities of life, where things seemed helpless and hopeless, that he would recall to mind that you had not forsaken those that seek you, and that you're a God who is faithful. You are the Lord who is our shepherd, the Lord who is our healer, our banner, our righteousness, the Lord who is there. So help us to know your name so that we can better put our trust in you. And help us to remember, even in the difficulty, that you are a refuge, that we would flee to you when the trials come. We pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who at the cross created an eternal place of refuge.
that we can call the rock of ages that was cleft for us and let us hide ourselves there. So we ask these things in his precious name tonight. Amen.